Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Passover Prep Learning Series. I heard from somebody earlier that they thought that this might be a session on chant as in like like curtain chant, you know, like relaxing chant. This is not that. I'm very sorry if you thought that this was that. If you thought that this was that, I encourage you to turn off your video, shut the Zoom, and go light a candle, take some deep breaths, and go chant. You should do that. It's a very worthwhile practice. If you're listening to the podcast, go ahead, pause. Go search Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app for some chant and go chant. It's fantastic. It's another very worthy form of chanting, okay? Um, so look, somebody just left the Zoom meeting. Someone did it. So I'm telling you, somebody was here to chant. So um, so good. I'm, I'm glad that we're all here together to learn a little bit about chanting on uh, Pesach. We're here to learn about chanting sacred text on Pesach, okay? This is going to be very different than last week and a little bit less maybe even a, a lot less musical than last week, a lot more textual than last week, and a lot more visual than last week. So if you're listening to this later as a podcast, I'm going to make everything available in the show notes um, so that you can look at this as a slide show as well. And we're going to be looking at this as a slideshow together on the screen. We're going to go through this together as a slideshow, but I'm also going to make this available to you in the chat because I think it's important as I go through, if you're able to do this on the device that you're with me on, it's a terrible sentence, but that you're joining the Zoom meeting on, um, if you're able to join me on the meeting and also open a screen, to look at this, uh, the text that we're looking at at the same time, I think it'll be instructive to you because I'm going to ask us to look a little closely at these texts together and answer some questions about why, why we chant these particular texts. Only when we get to the third type of text are we really going to get deeply into the music of it. Okay, so I'm pointing in the chat right now um, a link to the presentation itself in case you just want to have it handy. I'll do it again later in the presentation. And if anybody else joins us for this class, I'll put it in again. And uh, I'm going to share my screen so that we can look at it together as well. Okay, so it's going up on the screen and we're going to talk about chanting at Pesach. I'll put this in present mode so it's nice and big and clear for us. So we're talking about the kind of chanting that we do communally, okay? Um, and uh, yes, absolutely. Check out that chanting. Um, it It is, um, it, we're going to talk about the chanting that we do of sacred texts on all of the days of Pesach. And we're talking about it in three categories, from Torah, Haftarah, and Shir Hashirim. So these are the three categories that we're going to explore together. And what I want to do together is talk about the when first of the Torah readings. So when do we read Torah on Pesach? I think we have to back up a step for a moment and ask the question, when do we usually read Torah? So when do we normatively read Torah during the week? You can just Mondays jump right in. Thursdays. I think you should be able to unmute. 
Oh, hang on one second. Let me just check my sound settings so I can hear you. That would be very helpful. Try that one more time. Mondays and Thursdays. And Saturday. And Shabbat. Oh, that was very good. Mondays and Thursdays and Saturday, Shabbat. Fantastic. That was great, actually, because we got two Shabbats in there, which is correct because we read twice on Shabbat. We don't go more than three days without Torah, just like we, you know, want to – Torah is is this thing we don't want to go too long in our week without. And so so we keep it handy. We keep it near us. Um, We read on market days back in the day, according to Ezra and Nehemiah, our our, our prophets. And we read it twice on Shabbat because in the morning – we read the Parshat Hashavua, the Parsha of the week, right. the Torah portion of the week. And then in the afternoon, we read the Torah portion that we are anticipating in the week to come, which we will then read on Monday and then on Thursday and then Saturday morning. And when we read on Saturday afternoons and on Monday and Thursday mornings, we read a small portion that is the equivalent of one of the Aliyot, one of the subsections of the Saturday morning readings, okay, the very first one, it's a preview. So we're reading just one on those mornings and we subdivide that, we subdivide that into three honors on those days. I'm mentioning that for a reason because when you think about the way that we read Torah and we're not gonna get too deeply into this because this isn't a whole class on Torah reading, but the scale of how many Torah readings there are on a given occasion has to do with the grandeur of the day. Shabbat gets the most, gets seven. Yom Kippur gets six, Rosh Hashanah gets five. So do Yemei Tov, okay, Yom Tov, okay. And um, and then four go to Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh right, and to Hanukkah. And three go to regular weekdays and such. So it's this kind of like scale. So we're going to look at where Pesach falls in that. So when do we read Torah on Pesach? We're going to look at, oh, I keep I keep pressing the arrow thinking it's going to do something. You know what? doesn't do anything. Let me click. Okay. <laughs> we read Torah on every day of Pesach. Right? We read Torah on every day of Pesach. And Pesach is... Eight days long. It's the least confusing of the holidays. There are no caveats to Pesach. Well, there's one caveat to Pesach. What's the caveat to Pesach being eight days long? In Israel, they have it. Esther on the ball. That's correct. And in Israel, because there is only one day of Yom Tov at each of the bookends of the holidays, you only have one day of Yom Tov at the first side of it and one day of Yom Tov at the end of it. So only one Seder at the beginning and then you will, and then at the end of it, you only got one day of Yom Tov. In the end, you'll wind up with seven days of the holiday. Okay. So, right. You still get the same interim. You, you still get interim. You still have those days in the interim. You still wind up with seven days in total. So anyway, <laughs> in Chul, in Chutzlar, it's all the places that are not Israel. We have eight days of Pesach, and that's the reading that we're going to be exploring. Pesach is eight days long because we live in that universe, part of the universe. And the Torah readings shift every day of Pesach, and they're not the same. But the Maftir is the same every day. And the Maftir is a bit of a misnomer here, though, because I want to talk about that word for a minute. 
Um, and it'll be easier if I have it in front of, oh, mm, I don't have it in front of us in Hebrew. That's so silly of me. Goodness. Do I have it? I could just type it out in the Hebrew. That's okay. We're going to talk about it in the Hebrew because this is a podcast anyway. So, <laughs> oh, the left arrow works. That's funny. The right arrow just doesn't do anything. Um, I will talk about it in the letters, right? So the idea of of um, of a maftir and this word maftir is related to haftarah, which is the second subsection of, of texts that we're going to talk about today. In other words, on a Shabbat, for example, which is one of the occasions on which we read haftorah, hold that in your mind for when we talk about that next. When we get to the seventh aliyah, which is the penultimate aliyah on a Shabbat morning, great SAT and a Scrabble word for you. When you get to that penultimate seventh aliyah, you then get to the next aliyah, but we don't enumerate it. We call it a special name. We call it a maftir. And in fact, we call the person who gets the kibud, the honor of that aliyah by the same name, the maftir, which shares a root with haftarah. And it basically means the person who opens up to the haftarah. Okay. So it's a little bit silly <laughs> to, to, um, to call that the last aliyah of any given day, a maftir when there's not a haftarah, but we use that word anyway, when there's a secondary reading from a different part, from a different part of the Torah, which we typically, if we had the gift of having two Torah scrolls at hand, multiple Torah scrolls at hand, read from a different scroll. It's just a tiny bit of a misnomer because it comes from the place of Haftarah. Does that make sense? Right? Because usually it's in reference to the person who's going to read Haftarah. It's not really a Moftir, but it's a Moftir. We call it a Moftir. Okay. So, but the Moftir is the same every day. So let's take a look at it and we're going to take a look at what these readings are. Okay. So this is Pesach day one. And by the way, as we go through this, if you're like on the intermediate advanced level of this and you're like, ah, oh, pays off day one, I know what the readings are. You can have fun with other parts of this, like playing with the luach with the calendar and thinking about fun mind games around the calendar, which drives me crazy. Like which days of Pesach can fall on Shabbat? Because that changes what the Torah readings can be, Okay. Can Pesach day one fall on Shabbat? Yes or no? It's a fun Jeopardy game. It can fall on Shabbat. It is possible for the first day of Pesach to fall on Shabbat. Okay. That is one that does. We're going to talk about that later when it comes to Haftorah. The, the, um, the ground rule that you need to know around Pesach Torah readings. And by the way, all Yom Tov Torah readings and Shabbat which is why I didn't bother to kind of change it up. I'm just basing it on this year's Torah reading structure. You'll see what I do in a minute is that the Torah readings themselves do not change. The breakdown of them do. What is read from the Torah does not change. How we break up the Torah readings does because Shabbat's getting seven aliyot takes precedence over the five aliyot of a Yom Tov. Pesach day one is a Yom Tov, and therefore we have five aliyot plus a maftir. And this is a true maftir. We're going to have a haftorah on this day. 
Okay? So we have five aliyot here. If Pesach day one were to be Shabbat, we would take these five aliyot and we would turn them into seven aliyot. We'd break them down, but we wouldn't change what we're reading from the Torah, okay? This is what you read from the Torah on Pesach day one, from the book of Exodus, from the 12th chapter, starting with verse 21. Let's take a look. So Moshe called out to all the elders of Israel and said to them, go pick out lands for your families and slaughter the Pesach. Did you say that's on topic? Really pretty good. Do we need to go deeply into why we read this on the first day of Pesach? Probably not so much. Okay. Um, should we go to the Moftir now? You want to peek at it now? I can't see your faces because my like little menu bar is in front of it. Should we just look at the Moftir now on the first day? We won't save it. Okay, we'll look at the Moftir now. It's very clear why the reading for the first day is the reading for the first day. The Haftar road are going to be like this a little bit too on the first day. Spoiler alert. Here's the Moftir. The Moftir starts here. It's in Numbers, it's in Bamidbar in the 28th chapter, which is the favorite place where we go to read about, insert the word in Hebrew or English here. What are we in the section of? Corbanot. Yeah, it's all the Corbanot. Way to go, Ziegler student Jackie Honig. Points to ZSRS. That was the right acronym, right? Yes. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, oh, I know that date on the calendar. It's coming very soon because Rosh Chodesh Nisan, sorry, spoiler alert, Mavarchim HaChodesh Shabbat, but um, on the 14th day of the month, which is coming on um, in, in like 16 days, there's going to be a Pesach to God. Not really, because we don't do that anymore. But there's going to be a Pesach holiday, okay? So um, that this is the Korban reading, right? By the way, may I commend to you, this is very meta, because this is going to be a podcast, but can I commend to you, if you're listening to this podcast, after you finish this podcast, or if you're in this class, go listen to the conversation that I had today, which was really me listening to Rabbi Joel Rembaum talking about the Haggadah and Pesach. You didn't miss a class. We just did it as a podcast. So it's a bonus. Okay. No class, just a podcast of Rabbi Joel Rembaum. Write yourself a note. It's fantastic. I learned so much talking with him. It's about an hour of conversation, maybe a little less. And we talked about the layers, the geological layers of Pesach. And this one is the second layer. Layer number one, lowest layer, bottom layer of Pesach is the original, right? OG story of Pesach. We got out of Egypt. Second layer, a holiday in which we offer sacrifices to thank God for having gotten us out of Egypt. (laughs) Third geological layer, by the way, not found in the Torah because that's when the rabbis invent a holiday to talk about the sacrifices that we made and 
to thank God for getting us out of Egypt and also the original story of getting us out of Egypt, right? So that's the third geological layer. And of course, we've made more since then, but those are the three original layers of Pesach that get into the Seder. So you've got to listen to that conversation with Rabbi Rambam. It's really fun. So we taught, we do the sacrifices and this sacrifice, this reading of the sacrifices of the Korban notes for Pesach, we read every single day of Pesach. Yom Tov, Cholomoed, Shabbat Cholomoed, whether there is actually a Shabbat Cholomoed or whether that actually kind of falls on Yom Tov anyway, like it does this year, where it's the seventh day of Pesach, that's Shabbat. This is the Maftir. Okay? Got it? Let's look at the other Torah readings. Any questions while I'm at this? I feel like I'm going at a quick clip, but you got a lot to get through. So... Any other, any questions on this? Why, how? Okay. All right. Next one. Pesach day two, which does not fall on Shabbat. It's not a thing. Starts in uh, Leviticus. So now we're getting to, we're hopping around. We're making our way through this Torah. We never get to Brayshit. We never go back to Brayshit in, um, in, during Pesach. Just doesn't happen. Um, they get plenty, it gets plenty of uh, airtime in the first part of the year. So it just doesn't get, get played in, uh, in, in Pesach. So, uh, all right. So it starts in the 22nd chapter at the 26th verse, if you're following along. So what are we reading here? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I encourage you to click if you're following along here to read down. God spoke to Moses saying, when an ox or sheep or goat is born, it can stay seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day, it should be acceptable as an offering by fire to the Lord. Hmm. What is this? It's the next mention of Pesach. Okay. It's when we get to Pesach in Vayikra. Chapter 23, verse 5. Familiar language. So again, we're reading about Pesach, but it's when we get back to it. And now we've got the instructions about um, on the 15th of the month, we have Feast of Unleavened Bread. You should eat matzot for Shivat Yamim for seven days. I did the extra one. <laughs> Israelis are saying, ha-ha. <laughs> um, so these are our instructions um, on celebrating Passover. Okay? So that also makes sense for the second day. You got it? You good? So that's why we do those ones. Any questions? Straightforward. Okay. And then now we get to Pesach day three. It's Chol HaMoed day one. What is Chol HaMoed? What does that mean? What is Functionally, what does that mean? It's like we only have it on Pesach and Sukkot. Because Shavuot doesn't have these. The middle. Yeah, it's the middle of the holiday. And it is still the holiday season, but we don't adhere. We are not bound by Yom Tov strictures. We don't have these rules to abide by that are nearly as strict as Shabbat. We just are in the middle of the holiday. Pesach is pretty intense about that, though, right? Because the rules about chametz and matzah, about what we abstain from and what we continue to eat, are pretty intense still. And we're still doing 
Torah reading every day, right? And we're still doing Hallel every day too, by the way, but that's not what this class is about. So third day, we get to Exodus 13. Hmm. Exodus 13, I want us to look at the third line of the chapter. Vayomer Moshe el Ha'am. And Moshe is said to the people, Zachor et hayom hazeh, remember this day, asher which went free from Egypt, from the house of bondage. Ki yad hotzi adonai etchem mizeh, because with the, with a strong hand or with the strength of hand, God took you out of there. Velo yechel chametz, and you shall not eat chametz. Okay, yet another mention, another part of the story, but back earlier in Shemot, going back and forth. Next day of Cholamoid, now we're going forward in Exodus again to chapter 22. So we're going 10 chapters forward, forward in the story of, of the Israelites wandering in the Midbar. And now we're kind of in the middle of a story here of rules. In Kesef Talve et Ami, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, do not act toward them as a creditor, exact no interest from them. Hmm. Interesting. Middle of Pesach. Anyone clicking on this and reading through and see anything that seems interesting to you about its connection with Pesach? I'll go back here so you can see um, that we're reading from 2224 through 2319. Anyone see anything of interest there? You can click on it and go through. Do you still have the, the link? You're good? Oh, someone else joined the class after I put the link in the chat. So let me put the link in the chat again so you can click on it and go through. One more mischievous connection. I have a theory, some theories. Can I offer one? Oh, welcome. Okay. Take a look at chapter 22, verse 28. The extra stuff that you skim off the top of your uh, vats, you, um, you shouldn't like take off. There's a little unpacking to do there. I'm not going to get into that right now. It's the second half of the verse that I'm interested in. Bichor banecha titenli. You should give me your firstborn sons. I think that it's this Bechor business that pulls us in. I think that's the connection that gets us there um, during the holiday. That's my theory about why we're reading from here. I have another theory. It, it looks to me like you're it's telling you the ethical things, the way you should act in general. Yes. And why? Why now? Vigar lo tilchatz. You shouldn't oppress a stranger. And you know the nefesh, the soul of a stranger. Because you were strangers in Egypt. That's why we're reading it. But I like that we wait until the fourth day of the holiday to get there. It feels right. You know, it feels warmed up into the holiday before we get into that ethical teaching. I think it's beautiful. Okay, let's get to the next one. We're almost through the holiday. Okay. Uh, Exodus 34, leaping way ahead. This one should look pretty familiar. 
carved two tablets of stone like the first. It's kind of where we are, right? In the Torah, right now in our Parsha cycle. And also, we read this on fast days as well. And this is all about God and Moshe's relationship and the building of a covenant. It's a bit of a preview to the Shavuot relationship as well. And it teaches about Pesach from another angle. Et Chag HaMatzot Tishmor Shivat Yamim Tochal Matzot Asher Tziviticha Lemoed Chodesh Aviv Kiva Chodesh Aviv Yatsat Anim Yitzrayim The other name of Pesach in the Torah, Chag HaAviv and Chag HaMatzot. Observe it for seven days in the month of Aviv because it was in Aviv that you came out of Egypt. Got it? All these little catches. And then we leap ahead to Bamidbar on the um, day six, which is the fourth day of Cholamoed. And we're in Midbar Sinai. And then Israel offers the Pesach. And it's them actually offering it. And Moshe, uh, if you look in the fourth verse, he instructed them to actually do it. They actually did it in Sinai. And then it's the story of them offering it. Cool, right? Instruction, instruction, instruction. We get to the sixth day and we actually get the story of them doing it. Exodus 13 again. Back at verse 17. Shalach. What's this? We get to the seventh day of Pesach. And what do we do? What do we read? The shear, the shear. Exactly. We read the shear. That's exactly right. We read Shiratayam. When we get to the seventh day of Pesach, we read the shear. We're ready to go back to it again. It's almost like we've been away for it for a whole week and we need to read it again. That's my theory about it, by the way. That's Cantor Torney's Torah on it. Okay. It's like, it's been a week. Now we have to get back to the shear and the story, Azia Shir Moshe, to the actual Shiratayam and the crossing of the sea. And we read that again and we go back to it. That's what we chant again on the seventh day. And then the same Maftir. And finally, we finish up in Devarim at the end of the Torah. And we read Kola Bachor and about consecrating the firstborn. Again, we get back to Kola Bachor. And just like it was mentioned in back in Vayikra, that's paired up with the observance, Shmoret Chodesha Pesach, the observance of Pesach in the month of Aviv. And we finish up at Devarim. One last thing about Torah reading, and then we're going to go to Haftarah and quickly to Shira Shivim. Okay. My question is what story are we telling at Pesach with the Torah readings? And when do we usually read these texts? What overarching narrative are we creating here? What do you mean? What story is being created by patching together all of these different readings here? When we were given the laws and when we, how, how, what a struggle it was to get out of Egypt. Oh, journey. Our journey. Good. Remember, remember to remind us about how difficult and what God did to the people to get them out of Egypt. Good. And when do we usually read these texts? Like in the usual reading cycle of the year, when do we usually read them? 
when they occur as in the order that they're that they occur on a week by week basis we go special the order that's in the torah each week right right so i i want to offer a point to you let me stop the screen share to offer a uh, a little bit of a, a hop a little bit of like a, a point to um, about Torah readings, and then we're going to move on to Haftarah. So this is something that I think is really, really clear at Pesach, more so than almost any other time of the year. It is a very unique thing that our Torah cycle, which we might call in English like a lectionary, the Torah cycle that we have set for the year, Parsha by Parsha, which starts after Simchat Torah when we reset the Torah in the fall and start at Bereshit again at the beginning of Genesis with the first story of the Torah and is parceled out week by week through the year. It's fascinating that it does not align perfectly in terms of the stories that are going on and the holidays that are going on. So it's the case that we are reading the song of the sea. We are chanting about the song of the sea in Parshat Bishalach way back in January and then celebrating the holiday of Pesach now. They're happening on two different timelines. I think that is particularly wonderful and important that the rabbis who fixed in our cycle, these Torah readings at the holiday time, fixed in Torah readings to realign our brains to all of these spots in the Torah reading. For me, it helps me readjust because I have a bit of a, a difficult time with this. I have a bit of a difficult time aligning those two different timelines. This idea that we're on one timeline when it comes to the Torah readings and a whole other timeline when it comes to the holiday cycle of the year. So it's wonderful that our rabbis come back and actually allow us to take those texts and have them read at the time of the year when they're aligned with the holidays themselves. So that's what's happening when we're reading these texts at their appropriate times, because we also are reading them other times of the year, but we're bringing them back and saying, let's do them at the time when they're occurring. Okay. Um, so that's the Torah reading portion. We're going to go to Haftarah for just a few minutes and then skip over to Shir Hashiri. So here's the Haftarah part. Oh, where the heck did the other thing go? Hang on. Let me go back to the thing. I guess because it, it's a, like a very big page, it disappeared. Hang on. Here we go. Okay. So I will share this uh, screen again. And... We're looking at um, the Haftarah of Pesach now. Haftarah is a selection from the books of our prophets, also known as the Nevi'im in Hebrew. The question is, when do we read Haftarah on Pesach? Normally during the year, when do we read Haftarah? Shabbat. Shabbat and? Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh and, no, not, not Rosh Chodesh. No? No. We do Musaf on Rosh Chodesh. Fast days. Be fast days. And Yom Tov. Hug. Yeah. Yom, Yom, Kippur, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. Exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah, Hag, Tov. Exactly. So um, we read Haftarot on Pesach on um, 
Haftar is read on Shabbat and Yom Tov. Shabbat and Yom Tov sometimes, but not always, overlap. So Haftar is read on the first day of Pesach, the second day of Pesach, Shabbat Cholam Oed Pesach, which does not always happen like this year, Pesach the seventh day and the eighth day of Pesach. So the first and second, the seventh and eighth, those are Yom Tov days. And when there's a Shabbat Cholam Oed Pesach, there is a special Haftarah for that day. We just don't have that this year, but we'll look at it. So we're going to look at it together. I want to quickly look at the first two. The first two, I think you're going to say, oh, Pshita, obvious what they're about. Let's take a look at those together. So the first one, it makes sense what, uh, yeah, on its own. The first one is from the book of Joshua, the first book after, it's the first book in the prophets section. It comes right after the, the Torah. Um, but this is from the fifth chapter. And it's a story about Joshua and a celebration of Passover. On the day after the Passover offering, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the country, unleavened bread and parched grain. Great. Makes sense why we read that half Torah? Makes sense why we read that half Torah. Fantastic. Okay. So that's Pesach one. We do this half Torah, whether Pesach, uh, whether the first day of Pesach falls on Shabbat or on a weekday, right? Whether it's Shabbat or just Yom Tov. Second day of Pesach, we read from the second book of Kings, from the 23rd chapter. Okay. And this one, similarly, is about the Passover sacrifice being offered. Okay. The king commanded all the people offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, your God, as prescribed in this scroll of the covenant. Okay. So it's instruction from the king to the people. So it's, it's a very, it's a very direct and clear cut connection. Shabbat Cholam Oed Pesach. We do the famous Yechezkel Ezekiel Haftarah about the dry bones. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Why the dry bones? Why this story? And the Lord came upon me, took me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down the valley. It was full of bones. He said to me, oh, mortal, how can these bones live again? God, only you know. And I will put my breath into you and you shall live again. And I will set you upon your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have acted, declares the Lord. Why are we reading that on Pesach? Is it like a form of liberation? Yeah. I, I think, Denise, that's a really good way of putting it. It's definitely an imagery of sort of the dried up state that we're in when we're in slavery and the redemption that God is capable of, the near death state that people are in when they're enslaved. And God be, if God can bring bones back to life, surely God is capable of liberating a people. Any other ways of putting it? It also makes me think about about Joseph and that they took Joseph's bones with them, that the whole story started with Joseph yes. going to Egypt. And at the end, they take Joseph's presumably very dry bones with them when they leave. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly. That is an excellent point and a great um, and a great connection with some of the um, Torah that we read back in the Shmot reading, some of the Shmot readings that we did um, it, over Pesach that we will be doing over Pesach, um, and uh, we um, that that's that's such a um, 
that's such a terrific connection with the bones of Yosef. That's I, I love that and and him being regathered to his people. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, um, this is not a rare ancient practice at all. Um, a reburial was was a typical ancient practice. People's bones would be left to um, to dry out and then collected into an ossuary, and then the ossuary would be uh, buried maybe into the side of a of a hill. Um, I love I love that connection, Jackie. That's a terrific point. I think this is a, a way of God showing the people His strength of what He can do, and therefore why they should listen to Him. Such a great transition, Barbara, because that that is exactly the territory that we're going into. And I think that God's might is a real central, what is happening? God's might is a real central um, uh, theme here in the Hofstra Road that end us on Pesach. And that's what we're going to look at for these last two. Okay, so this is for the seventh day of Pesach, whether it's Shabbat or a weekday. And it's this poetic rather than prosaic selection from the second book of Shmuel, of Samuel. It's from the 22nd chapter, and it's 51 verses, but they're these like short psukim, these little verses, uh, these little poetic verses. Uh, and it's it's almost like a tehillah. It's almost like a psalm. Um, and it's about calling out and crying out to God, and the breakers of death encompass me, the torrents of Belial. Um, and it's it's about being humbled before God and God's strength and the way of God being perfect and being struck down before God and God lives and blessed is my rock and singing God's praises. And it's just about God's mightiness. And that's the theme. That's the whole thing is about God's might. And let's look at the Pesach day eight Haftarah as well. Same thing. What What's similar about this already to this day seven Haftarah? What do you immediately notice? It's from Isaiah at this time. God's strength. God's strength. Good. What else about it? It's a, it's poetry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's from Isaiah from chapter 10, verse 32. And it's, it's poetry again. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not the prosaic stuff. We're, we're back to this poetic selection that is all about the spirit of God and a vision in this case of a future in which the wolf lies down with the lamb, right? This is where that vision comes from. And um, there is a mention of Egypt in this, but it's a it's a fleeting mention of, of Egypt. It's not particularly, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Substantive. Um, and um, I think that it is, I think it's it's a, a little bit of a Bashanahaba Abir Shalayim feel to it, to end Pesach, right? It's just a, it's like shout for joy, you who dwell in Zion, right? It's just, it's a like, see ya, see ya back in, in Zion. It's a very hopeful, um, you know, vision of, of the future piece from Isaiah to end the whole shebang. Um, so how can we derive a theme from these half to row? I think I've, I just talked us through an arc here, but what did we see way back at the beginning for the themes for, for the Haftarot for the first couple of days? The story were in the first few days. Hey, the first few days that were exactly the first couple of days, the Haftarot are really true to the story of, of Pesach. We're really in it and we're in the narrative of, of coming out of Egypt and slavery. And as the holiday goes on, Haftarah becomes more of something that we're interfacing with as a spiritual tool, 
and a little bit of a narrative, but mostly a spiritual tool to help us kind of get into a modality around God and theology. It's really God conversation and a, a vision and prophecy for the future. So that's Haftorah for Pesach. We're just going to spend a few minutes looking at one last type of sacred text that we do on Pesach, and that is Shir Hashirim. And the reason why we're only spending a few minutes on it is that this is really a, a teaser for a different course that's going on, which is Shir Hashirim with Dr. Avi Havivi, I believe is teaching the course. And uh, that is the Hebrew for Song of Songs, which is a book it, that we chant. It's a scroll that we chant on Pesach. Um, I'll start with the when, just since we started with that with the other pieces as well. Um, and it's chanted on Shabbat Chol HaMoed Pesach, but when there isn't a Shabbat Chol HaMoed Pesach, we chant it on the seventh day. So that's when it will be chanted this year. I also want to talk about how it's chanted and how it's chanting differs from Torah and Hatra. So put on my cantor hat for just a moment and talk about that. Um, it, it is a scroll but we don't chant it from a scroll. There are some communities I'm sure where that's still done, but those are rare and few and far between. Most people chant this from a book. We don't sort of force ourselves to chant it from a scroll where it's been scribed without uh, punctuation and vowels and cantillation marks, also known as trope or ta'amam mikra. We don't, we don't worry about chanting it from one of those sacred scrolls. Rather, we chant it from... Um, from a bound uh, book, um, we don't we don't worry about uh, from what we call like a, a codex, okay, like a regular old you know book book. Um, it its trope is different. <laughs> it shares a trope system. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but it shares a trope system with a couple of other books of uh, of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, and its trope is different from Torah and different from Haftarah. We do not recite blessings when we say it because it's not considered a command to recite it. So we don't recite blessings before it and we don't recite blessings after it. We also do it at a different point in the service when than when Torah or Haftarah is ever chanted. So we, we chant it prior, immediately prior to starting the Torah service. So it's before the Torah even comes out of the ark, which is such an interesting thing, I think, in terms of the visual message that that sends. It's before the Torah is even out and on the table. And think about all the things that we dafka, that we specifically do when the Torah is out for sort of the sight of it being done when the Torah is out on the table. You know, while the Torah is out, let's do this thing. So it's very, it's quite the message to do something not when the Torah is out on the table. Uh, it does not have to be a single reader of the book. We can have multiple readers of the book. You see that sometimes with Esther, right? Or with Eicha, right? With, with, um, uh, Lamentations. Don't do great with the English names of the book. Sorry about that. Um, and English is also permissible because, because this carries less weight, which you can tell by, you know, being able to read it from a book and not having blessings. We sometimes do, uh, read from it a little bit in English in the context of our services. Um, I want to put it into present mode for a minute here. And I want to look at what Shir Hashirim itself is. Um, it, will someone volunteer to read this paragraph, which I think is a wonderful summary from the editors of Safaria uh, on the book? I'll read it. Great. Thank you. Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon, is the first of the five Mikilot scrolls of Kituvim writings, the last section of the Tanakh Bible. 
Scripturally, it is unique in its celebration of sexual love. It gives the voices of two lovers, praising each other, yearning for each other, proffering invitations to enjoy. The two are in harmony, each desiring the other and rejoicing in sexual intimacy. The women, or daughters of Jerusalem, form a chorus to the lovers, functioning as an audience whose participation in the lovers' erotic encounters facilitates the participation of the reader. Jewish tradition reads it as an allegory of the relationship between God and Israel. The story is read on the prior to Shabbat each week by Sephardim and on Shabbat during Pesach by Ashkenazim. Thank you so much, Bonnie. And and I love uh, that it adds in there that beautiful little note that in some Sephardi communities, uh, it is indeed read every um, every week before Shabbat. And I've been to a wonderful um, few synagogues, including the Aleppo Synagogue in Jerusalem, um, where I got a chance to hear it uh, read um, on a on a Friday night, chanted on a Friday night in its entirety. Um, before the Kabbalat Shabbat service. Um, and, uh, it shares a trope system. It shares a, cha- a cantillation system, um, with Root and Kohelet, um, with these two other books. And what do Root and Kohelet have in common with Shir Hashirim? Do you know? What do they have in common with it? They're, f- they're also from Tuvim. Uh-huh. They also are read from a book and not a scroll. And, they are also the assigned readings. Holiday, specific for, holiday. They are also the assigned readings for the other two festivals of Aliyah, meaning the other two of the three festivals. Shavuot. Exactly, Shavuot and Sukkot. Okay? So the three big festivals are tied together by a trope system which is really cool, at least in Ashkenazi tradition, okay? I think that's awesome. I'm a big fan. You guys can all hear my family's having a party. Um, oh, you're crossing Eichlein Kohelet. I gotcha. Um, but uh, okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of the music of it to end the class because, of course, it's supposed to be a music uh, series. So I'm going to give you a little bit about the music of it. Um, I'm going to unshare this so I can share a music page. And then uh, and then I'll chant a little bit of it for you to end the class. And that'll be the end of this. So here we go. Um, I'm going to share this music sheet so you can see it. So a trope system, we won't get too deeply into it, but trope basically are markings that go underneath words. These letters here in front of us on the screen are stand-ins for words, and there are markings below and above these letters that stand in for words that let us know that that word is going to be chanted according to the notes that we use per that mark. So these marks have names to them, and those names are written over here and written out with sheet music. So this is Mercha, and this is Tipcha, and this is Mercha again, and this is Sof Pasuk. And some of these uh, change their their tonal sequences based on where they fall in a sentence and what trope comes after them. And so it's a whole thing to learn a trope system. So I'll give you a little bit of it. Mercha, Mercha Tipcha, Mercha Sof Pasuk, Munach, 
Kan mama papa sha nakaton Taka Stevie So I'm giving you like a little bit of a tiny taste of it and I'm going to stop the screen share of it and I'm going to um screen share Shir Hashirim so that you can hear a little bit of the first chapter. Shir Hashirim Asher Lishlomo Ishakini Minishikot Pihu Kitovim Dodeha Mihain Lireha Shimaneha Tovim Shemin Turak Shemeha Alekain Alamot Ahevuha Mashaini Ahareha Narutza Heviani Hamelech Hadarav Nakiba Venis Mecha Bach Naskira Dotaha Mihain Mesharim Ahevuha Shekhorani Venavaha Benot Yerushalayim Yohalei Ketar so that's how we chant Shir Hashirim and also Root and Kohelet. It gives you a taste of the music of it and it gives you a sense of the music of it and how it's done, at least in Ashkenazi tradition. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.